welcome to Female Techpreneur Podcast. Um, my name is Buki. I'm the founder of Female Tech. And what we do is we're a community of female founders leveraging technology to disrupt the status quo. We're looking to change the game. So um, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. As you know, today is not about me. It's about getting to know you and hearing more about your journey. Um, Female Tech started in March 2020, and um, we launched officially then, and then COVID struck, and we're like, okay, wow, what are we going to do? We're still here, we're still plodding along, and we've just transformed and transitioned all our programs to virtual programs, and the purpose of this podcast is to actually speak to founders that are doing amazing stuff, that are changing the game, that are building innovative products, and also for other people to learn about them, know about their journey, and not feel alone. So thank you very much for accepting to speak today. And um, Can we get to know who Viola Lewin is? Bucky, thank you so much for having me on your show. This is the first thing I've done in 2021. I was actually laughing yesterday and said, actually the real date is the 41st of December, 2020, because we're still waiting for the floodgates to open and take us to either something that we recognize that's familiar business-wise or to show us the way to go. Um, that's, it's quite ironic because that's the whole purpose of technology, isn't it? Find a way to improve on something you already know or point the way to a consumer or a business that there is a solution that is much better than the one they've seen or one they've never heard of at all. So that's really exciting. And I'm really glad you found me. My name is Viola Llewellyn. I'm the co-founder and the president of Avamba Solutions, Inc. It's been through a number of iterations. Believe it or not, we are eight years old this year, which makes us a bit of the uh, a granddaddy, grandmama of the fintech scene in Africa. And our solution today is a pure tech play designed to innovate technologies that banks and other institutions can license from us in order to serve and fund SMEs in emerging markets, specifically Africa, and those who are focused on the business of trade, which we've been doing long before the African continental free trade zone became a thing. So thanks, I'm glad to be here. So you're like a grandparent for fintech in Africa. Excellent. An old lady, definitely. <laughs> How have you birthed more um, products outside of what that fintech product is about? Well, we like to call ourselves trade tech. And that's because as we got through the process of beta testing solutions, the more we did that, the more problems we discovered. And as these problems emerged and we innovated solutions for them, we went from thinking in 2013 that we were going to be a diaspora oriented solution for taking remittances and investing in opportunities in the countries that the diaspora are originally from. But Africa presents itself as an ecosystem play. And the more you succeed at innovating solutions for defined problems, the more business opportunity you actually end up creating. But the difference here is that creating business opportunities should be for the sake of really serving business owners versus just trying to be in business and creating very sexy apps. And at the moment in our fintech landscape, we've got a lot of people that create really cool things that may not have a long-term sustainable application. So um, we're really a trade tech play. We are concerned with that because that is the primary activity of entrepreneurs, businesses, especially women in emerging markets is buying and selling something and creating an ecosystem to make sure that that happens profitably on a de-risked basis so that financial institutions can do a better job of serving them. Wow. You just opened something up. You talked about when you're creating your solution, you've discovered more opportunities. So you would agree with me that Africa in itself is a land of opportunities. It always has been. Um, from the first moment uninvited people stepped foot on the place, or they saw the opportunity. That's and right. the, the paradox for the everyday African is 
how do they attune their their vision and their aspirations to seeing the same thing versus seeing only the problems that we are all very skilled at complaining about. It's actually, Bucky, the reason and the story behind how this all happened. I was one of the diaspora that had very little respect for the fact that we've got all this opportunity underneath our feet, in our legacy, in our lives. And it's, our, it's within our DNA to grasp that right. It belongs to us. But the more those of us in the diaspora don't view it that way, the easier it is for individuals who may not have um, their, their opinions or their intent aligned with us, it allows them to come in. So when I met Marvin Cole, my business partner, who is a Jamaican raised in Detroit, and he was introduced to me by somebody who said, um, this guy's trying to build an African investment business. I laughed, I thought, silly man. That's never going to happen. And when I met him, I was intrigued because he said one simple thing. He said, um, Africa's going to be great one day. And I laughed and I said, no, it's not. It's a place that is just disastrously uh, chaotic. He said, well, that's the reason why it's going to be big. Nothing can stay the same. That's not how systems work. He said, don't you want to be part of the legacy that creates the foundation to make Africa what it's supposed to be? And that struck me. Because wow. I care about legacy, I care about change. I also, like many women who may not want to say the words out loud, very interested in the idea of doing something that is extraordinary, huge, world-changing, and will have your name in lights for the rest of time. That's an appealing idea. As Africans, we don't, we're not trained to say, I want to be the greatest. Mm-hmm. But we secretly want to be. That whole idea just was so powerful that I went into business with him literally on the spot. And that was more than 10 years ago. Here we are. And it was all because I realized um, this is my legacy. This is our right. And I went back and took a look and we have what we have today. Wow. You've just spoken my mind. I was at a session yesterday and a gentleman, his name is Feladro Toye. He was one of the presidential aspirants in Nigeria. Okay. And he was talking about people in diaspora. Yeah. That the amount, the volume of transaction that we move from here is probably what is sustaining some African countries. Do you know the numbers around this? I'm sure you're going to tell me. Oh, let me share a few bizarre statistics. Um, 45% of the world's digital payment transactions are actually done by Africans. Wow. So let's translate that into opportunity. It means that if there are Africans creating the innovations for uh, remittances, payments, wallets, digital currency, and in our case, trade tech, it means that there is more than enough business opportunity for any African who would want to participate in it, whether they want to make the conscious decision to buy and do business with other Africans, or whether they want to invest and get the same returns that we're now seeing the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world, the Jeff Bezos of this world, and recently all of these other groups like JP Morgan, Blackstone, large investors suddenly take a look and you never hear about them when it came to the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, but all of a sudden they want to buy up warehousing space. They're investing, they're making visits, they're making friends. Why do you think that is? In the meantime, those of us whose melanin gives us the right to stand on the, the, the very ground that our countries are made of are still waiting to see how it's going to turn out, mostly because um, many people don't understand how to absorb and experience risk and survive from it. There is a, a case to be made here. The more you engage with Africa to solve problems, the more opportunities and the more um, capital is available for all kinds of great things. The gentleman made a statement about, you know, us in diaspora not actually seeing, some of us not seeing the opportunities. And when mm-hmm. we see the opportunities, we don't actually take it. We just stand back and think, well, it's for them over there. Why do you think that is, Bucky? Well, there's been a lot of negative negativity going on. That's right. 
and it's quite a deterrent, especially when yes. you're not being chased from where you are. Exactly. It's like, why do I want to take that risk? But well, the few people that have ventured out there like yourself, what would you like to say to anyone in diaspora considering a tech solution based in Nigeria, based in Africa, wherever, what do, would you like to say to them? There's so many things I would like to say. So let's tackle it from the standpoint of why do members of the diaspora have a hard time with confidently moving ahead with partnerships, investment, interactions, starting businesses. It's because along the way, the African spirit has been put into a, a stage of caution. We're told from a very early age that we must pass exams, we must do well, we must not embarrass family, we must not fail at anything. But unfortunately, entrepreneurship and uh, digital innovations requires a healthy, appropriate appreciation for failure. If you don't have the capacity to fail, you will inversely lack the capacity to succeed. So when you catch individuals quietly treading the middle path of safety, they're the ones that have all the arguments imaginable to tell other people who are trying why they shouldn't and they're the ones that will tell you why you fail. Mm. But if you're capable of articulating why something has failure built into it, the same mental energy will also give you the reasons why something will succeed. And what happens is people are afraid of loss, but you're already losing because you're not winning. The wow. psychology of winning and the psychology of wealth for Africans is something that the company I founded with Marvin and Prashant takes into consideration when creating AI to understand the, um, the wealth genome of Africans. We're actually built for success. We're in frontier and emerging markets that are very, very difficult. It should not be possible for outsiders to come in and succeed in six months. We have to ask ourselves, how on earth does that happen? Well, it happens because most of our leaders are pretty ridiculous and don't have any um, sense of legacy for the youth and that bulge bracket of young people who will inherit our continent. People are busy lining their pockets or are trying to create um, policies and regulations that are still tied to a post-colonial loyalty. And that loyalty package long since flew away we're in a modern time where we can use technology to create and design lives that have a lot of wealth. At the beginning of this conversation, Bucky, you and I were talking about um, the idea of wanting to win everything and being very ambitious. These go hand in hand. Africa's problem has got nothing to do with money. There's a lot of liquidity. Africa's problems have got nothing to do with resources. After all, we give away wood and buy doors from yeah. other Africa's problem has got nothing to do with human capital. We will be the most populous continent the world has ever seen eventually. So what is the problem? The problem is here and here. It's the mentality and the idea that we don't know how to functionally rebel against things we intrinsically don't really want to do. So on the one hand, we're very happy to join the tribe and be part of the collective. We haven't reached the stage whereby being a rugged individual or a rebel or a not very nice lady is applauded. Ask yourself this, Bucky, and any of your listeners out there who are smart enough to listen to your podcast, when was the last time you heard about anybody other than Dangote who was absolutely wealthy? And when was the last time you saw a number of individuals write out and dissect the skeleton of an African who built wealth? Wealth that can be transferred and is still there after he or she is dead. We're yet to see this. Hasn't happened yet. Doesn't mean it won't. But that's why I build technology to create transferable wealth for Africans. Amazing. Purely amazing. And you're definitely leaving a legacy because this is going to go be beyond you because yeah. you're putting wealth in people's hands. 
So you're not only creating a solution, you're creating a community. And the ecosystem and the opportunity for others to jump on the pirate ship or take what we've done, run with it and do better. You know, the other thing about us as Africans that tends to hold us back from success, especially in technology, is the copycat syndrome that we've all been afraid of. Um, I, I'm assuming you're from Nigeria. We all know that Nigeria is are the kings and queens of copying and emulation. And that really is just flattery. Now, on the other hand, Cameroonians, where my parents are from, we would much rather destroy what you're doing and nobody has it rather than say, that's really clever. Let me go do that too. Because if you don't have people emulating the right thing, you can't build ecosystem. And no tech company wants to be an anomaly. You must be part of a movement or a trend or an industry. You've got to be counted amongst. But we're often afraid to do that. So these are the challenges that we run into as techpreneurs especially as female techpreneurs, that we have all of this mental and emotional stuff to get through before we can get to the business of creating a, an, an organization that will work on its own day after day after day. I will not see the end of November. We have to get used to the idea that you will not chop any of this today. No. It, for when you are gone. Yes. And, and, you know, you just mentioned very key point about female entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. especially the ones in tech. You know, mm-hmm. before we even get to building that solution, we need to consider our well-being. We need to even be a mom or a parent or, or a wife or, you know, so there's different layers. So what are the challenges that you faced as a woman in tech and how did you overcome them? You know, the strange thing about that is I have come to the conclusion there isn't really anything that stops any woman in tech because it's perfectly possible to tell an investor, you're an idiot, I don't want your cash. It's perfectly possible to tell a customer, this technology is here to disrupt you because you, the customer, are the damn problem. In our case, especially in Francophone Africa and with our trade tech solutions, as a woman, the biggest challenge I had was convincing other women that you actually have what you need, get on with it. The other challenge was realizing that the biggest stumbling block to our technology taking off is customer adoption because they've all been led down the garden path that only banks can provide financial growth and financial inclusion. But as a woman sitting in front of older African men, and I remember I had uh, one of my sales team in Cameroon, a young, attractive woman who had been successful in other sectors and she joined us and I trained her. And I remember she came back and she said, Madame, I'm, I get shaky and nervous when I'm speaking to older men about business and I just don't know how to cope. I find myself shrinking like a child and yes, sir, yes, sir. And I'm not able to speak. I said, you need to remember that you've got something that he wants. So for women getting comfortable with the fact that you have something of value and that you actually are the the professional and the expert and that you are capable of telling other people what they need to know what they need to do whether it's your employees an investor or whatever the case may be but finding that the base in your voice finding the the gravitas in your delivery of your opinions and learning to be your authentic self while doing that is an art form and it takes practice and you will have moments when it will not be good. Imagine Bucky, there I was, I was with a customer. I was trapped in a car with a male customer who turned out to be a Muslim sex addict. And all he wanted to do was talk about my physicality. And I tried very hard to be polite, which is a female tendency. And then my next stumbling block was, I dare not upset him, he's a customer and I really need his money and the opportunity but just how badly do you need that if you haven't taken the time to develop a strong customer base then that one customer is going to seem that important but the minute you realize and you have the confidence that what i have to offer is really great people want it then you learn how to say no to things and by the time that five hour journey was over i assure you that man was crying tears wow kept him as a customer but i kept him in a grip where you must respect me. I'm not desperate. 
I know my worth. I know the worth of my team. I am not alone. And I don't need to bring my husband into it to protect me. I can protect myself because the shift of power here is I've got the money you need. Yes, I've got something to offer. I've got the value. I've got something to offer and I can say no to you. It means nothing because I know I can go out and do this again and again and again. And I have a team who is willing to do what I'm asking them to do, sight unseen on pure faith because I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a servant leader. I don't have my own desk at Ovamba. I sit with my team. Wherever anybody is that needs a challenge, every minute with them, is training for that legacy. And that's the, the mothering in, in, in many women that they try to suppress, but it has a place in business as long as you know what your goals are. Wow, so knowing your value, having yeah. amazing leadership skills. Yeah, so and being comfortable at insulting and upsetting people and walking away, it's a necessity. <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, don't be fooled. Um, just because somebody's offended, eh, that's fine. That's your right. Be offended, but do you want to do business? Wow, that's a massive question. And only mm. the strong can answer that. In terms of Ovumba, what exactly? What are the key services that you offer? We are a trade in a, a trade tech innovator. For banks, we have a beautiful product called Bank Partner. Bucky, you, do you know anybody who has an easy time going into a bank and getting a loan anywhere on our continent? No. It's very hard. Very Believe good. it or not, um, there are many banks, if you go to them and say, hey, I need a loan, let's say 100,000 euro or whatever, they will, they will say, you must first have that amount of money in your bank account so we can block it. That's not lending. That's not lending. In the same way that many Africans will say, I'm in business, but when you ask them, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building houses and hotels. That's not being in business. Being in business is about putting your money and your reputation into a situation and a place where the capacity for loss is very evident and imminent. And it is about your ability to think through the steps to ensure that either the loss is minimized or you completely win. And that means that there are elements that you can't control. That's a difficult thing for many Africans to do. They have a hard time not being able to touch the thing where their money is. So going into a bank and getting a loan does not re doesn't always involve good risk management, good credit assessment, um, speed, efficiency, and tailoring to the business and the individual and their culture. For example, the kind of capital that you would give to um, somebody in, let's say, a part of Cameroon where there is a lot of farming, let's say in Bamenda or those tribes that are used to doing very physical work, may, ne may necessitate that you adjust it to their cultural norms for success. That's true. You go next door to Nigeria and speak to a Yoruba or an Igbo, especially an Igbo. This in, the Igbos have a different way in which they approach financial success compared to maybe Hausa or Bororo or, or any of those places. That's right. Nobody outside of our continent has ever stopped to say, what are the cultural impacts of success for, indi for individual groups of Africans? But... You cannot go to Italy and be served with financial services that were developed for somebody in Greece because the idea is but these are not the same people. They've got different demographics, but we don't do that for Africans. Ovamba does. And that's why when a bank licenses bank partner in order to do non-interest bearing funding, they are being given a suite of technologies and access to databases and software as a service delivery so that they can take the informal small and medium enterprise and not risk capital by giving it to them directly because we all know there's a high chance that person will run off and build grandma's house. Yeah. But if you find those businesses who are serious about growth and you say to them, we the bank, we want your business, we've got a product from Avamba called a bank partner. And what we're going to do is this technology on your phone is gonna analyze you and your inventory requirements. And we're gonna buy what you need. 
there will be an underlying analysis of how much inventory does this particular customer in this particular region, of this type of asset, how much do they need to actually become profitable quickly and then deliver real growth for them? So we take customers, we have a woman who was in, in decorating decor, two containers every six months of paint. She wanted to change her business model. A bank partner bought four containers for her, was able to analyze stock rotation and her cash flow, which was very uneven before. And she was allowed to buy those goods back from us against orders. Yep. No money was put at risk. The bank is not going to lose any money now. They're going to get fee income from that. This customer is going to get enough inventory to be able to master her market and satisfy customer demand. And before those goods run out, the technology we've developed will also indicate that it's time to order more. Yeah. The technology also knows that if it's a customer who is in the building industry, where concrete does not cure during the rainy season, that that customer should not be funded that that customer needs something else. Africa is unique, it's magical and beautiful. The development of solutions and technology is a beautiful art form, not just a science. So we've created this technology, banks can now license it, they can use their treasury to fund transactions or they can co-fund with us. We have a slew of investors seeking opportunities to invest in African businesses. So that's one of them, bank partner. We also have something called Pamoja, performance improvement that has CRM, ERP, and even point of sale that customers can use It's handheld, it's on an app, that will help them to just manage their internal business, their banking, their finance, their staff, HR, and just make sure that that business is running well. It's important to, dis to de-risk the entire continent. Ovamba also has products that deal with flexible warehousing. So that very same customer who maybe never had enough money to build a warehouse so that they can put more inventory in it, because that's a real challenge, can now come to Ovamba and Ovamba will say, we'll even provide you with what looks like Airbnb for warehouses, where we can hold the inventory if you've never had a warehouse. And you will buy it back and you will go along your merry way and you will grow and you'll do well. And we have other products that are coming out. We've got something called Pantrax that does a GPS tracking of those Okadas and bikes and fleets and all the rest of it to make sure that an asset that has value, we know where it is and it can be recovered. It's not possible in many parts of our continent to call up 911 or 999, um, Mr. Police Officer, Somebody has stolen my bicycle. No police officer is going to run and go find your bike for you. You have to do that for yourself. That's right. Again, an ecosystem approach to provide, to just protecting the value of what we have. So if you go to our website, avamba.com, you'll find that everything is arranged by solution. Solutions for SMEs who want to grow, get access to growth capital, get access to physical support to grow their business. There will be products for um, Sharia compliant products that are non-interest bearing that banks can use. But we've got so many more coming out in terms of payment solutions and all the rest of that. So um, I'm really proud of what we and the team have built, including our natural language chatbot. A lot of what we developed is the first of its kind. Wow. Excellent. This is so, so amazing what you're doing and what you've done. You're literally changing the landscape and business opportunities for, for people in diaspora. Yes. Sorry, in Africa continent. Is and your solution, is it, is it used anywhere or is tailored okay. to Africa? Emerging markets. But you know what the joke is, Bucky? You're out there in Milton Keynes. We happen to know that Africans and members of the diaspora are also small business owners in the UK and Europe as well. A product like this would definitely fit for them. And who knows, ambition could have us um, operating in some of these other markets one of these days. It would be fantastic. I would welcome such a thing. But at the moment, we are really focused on Africa. This is the time. It's, it's perfect time. In terms of the um, product, the, the bank partner one, is he uh, also catering for microfinances, micro lending? Oh. Absolutely. In fact, it's perfect for microfinances. Here's the reason why. 2013, 2014, as we were rolling out our beta testing in Cameroon, we discovered that microfinance institutions 
um, characteristically did not use a lot of technology in order to run their businesses. So doing things like processing alone can take many weeks. People want to see a paper file. The documents are not uploaded. There is no um, automatic dispensation of capital. You can't even fill it in online with a PDF using an online signature. You have to go in with your, your hot suit and do all of this stuff. Okay. So microfinance institutions, which are often closed down unceremoniously because they either don't have enough treasury, enough share capital, um, they're failing in compliance or they're chopping people's money. Uh, the, all of these things create an opportunity for digital transformation. And we do have microfinance institutions who've begun to ask, can they test a pilot of this? And the answer is absolutely. Bank partner is the perfect tool for them on a turnkey basis to have access to workflows that will manage their treasury, their accounting, their customers, and even the relationship managers, the staff in the bank, who often do not know what to do outside of what they've been told to do. If you ask the average bank staff member, who are your top portfolio performers, they might not be able to tell you right away. If you asked them, what are the business goals of this particular customer for next year? And have you figured out what services you're going to deliver to them? They won't know. Banks are not concerned with growth. Banks are concerned with deposits and interest and trying to minimize risk. And in minimizing risk, they don't actually create opportunity. That's but with a product like this, where you can say to a bank, we're going to get you more revenue from customers that you fail to serve who are actually the most lucrative. And as you get this customer and serve them more often, they will eventually become available and ready for some of your other more traditional bank products. Now that's inclusion. So Taking a business from where they are to where they need to be and being part of that journey. I've been hearing the word about unbankable. Yeah. There's so many of them in African continent yeah, that will have a bank account. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the um, micro lending solution, is it for average or blog or you have to have X amount of million pounds in, the, in your bank account to be able to use your solution? That's great. You don't need a penny. Um, we do analyze bank account movement because some of the informal sector, they, they don't do audits. They don't keep their books in any particular way that um, is standard to AOFI or GAP or any other accounting system. Our business solution for them actually takes a look at who do you sell to, who are you buying, how much did you sell, and what are your averages in your bank account, and a bunch of other detail for us to figure out how much risk can be assessed or tolerated for this customer. But the great news here is we're talking about trade. So what that person is and isn't is actually irrelevant. The focus for Ovamba's solution is putting the inventory at the center of a transaction. I am way more interested in finding out what are you trying to buy? Who do you sell it to? Where do you buy it from? What is the quality of that product? How long will it take you to sell everything that you've got? What, is a, what are the concentration of other applicable products in the marketplace? And do you actually know what you're doing? That's a way, that's, for Africans, that's data and information that is more valuable. Because after all, when did you last hear that anywhere in Africa, other than maybe South Africa and maybe one or two countries in East Africa, that they have a credit bureau where you can go online, put in somebody's so-called social security number. There are none. We haven't digitized birth certificates yet. To so take a look at what is your entire financial history? That does not exist. Avamba is building that from a trade perspective. So now one of our other products are what we call reg tech, policy tech, data um, dashboards that policymakers, central banks can take a look at what's going on in the far reaches of the economy amongst those people who are buying and selling a guzzi or those people who are importing toys at Christmas from Turkey or India or China. These individuals get missed because they're considered unbankable, they don't realize they're viable businesses. Yep. And their activity at the so-called bottom of the pyramid 
is the only reason why those at the top of the pyramid are doing so well. They need support, they need to be understood, and they need solutions that are tailored specifically for them. Ovamba helps central banks to do exactly that. And hot on the heels of that, Ovamba also creates really great liquidity solutions to help banks get investment capital from the diaspora, the diaspora who may be thinking to themselves, I want to invest, I want a return, I want certainty, I want to be part of this story and part of this narrative. Because the central banks actually need more liquidity and longer term uh, saving solutions. And the diaspora is looking for a longer term exposure, especially those who have um, pension plans in other countries. How do we create a digital a technology bridge that puts the diaspora um, pension funds or their long-term saving plans connected to the, the continent and how can they have that transparent movement of profit and opportunity in such a way that you really start to see growth for everyone. We create solutions for that as well. I think in 2021, as we work with more and more countries who've begun to discreetly ask us, how can we do this and market to diaspora? We'll start to see more of this happening. Excellent. Um, I'm really interested in that actually, because sure. um, we do something called startup um, boot camps. Mm. And at this boot camp, we bring lots of founders and, and um, speakers to come and talk to um, people that have idea and are yeah. looking to launch their business idea. So, as part of the program, we now also do like a pitch session. And at the pitch session, we get investors that would assess them and give them some feedback. Okay. At the last one that we did in October, there was a lady that came from Nigeria and joined because it was virtual anyway. Yeah. So it was quite interesting. You know, she's into waste management. Very good potential. But because all our investors are not looking outside of UK at the moment. So it's like there is a need for what Ovamba solution is doing. And I would like to explore that and see how we can help, you know, any founder, tech founder out there that is creating amazing solution, but they need funding access or some sort of- Well, we leverage. don't fund startups. So okay. let me be very, very clear. More than happy to share experience and resources. But as I mentioned at the beginning of our lovely conversation here, Avamba funds and develops technologies for the trade sector. However, products like Pamoja and even Jasmira, now that I think about it, which I'll explain in a minute, would be applicable for what you're trying to do, Bucky. So I just wanna make sure that um, I don't mislead any of your audience on what we can or will not be able to do in the future. Now, regarding the product that we have called Jasmira, everybody knows about crowdfunding. Ovamba has a crowdfunding platform that can be licensed by anyone that is very inventory driven, that allows retail type investment into other parts of the continent. So we could definitely have a conversation about that and see whether or not those that are trying to raise capital for startups or anything of that nature, whether this is applicable for them. And of course we would be right there on hand to advise and to give support for that to grow. But the thing that about it, Bucky, and I'm sure as 2021 winds through and you get more and more great customers, I mean, sorry, um, guests on your podcast, there is an awful lot of focus on small startup businesses. And there's a lot of focus on the big heavy corporates, but right here in the middle, is the missing middle of those that are smart, underbanked, unbanked, underserved, high ambition, uh, not formally in a, arranged in a strict fashion, but definitely built to be a continental success. If they can only get support with the physical environment, capital and a technology environment to help them to grow. And that's the same problem you get at the, at the startup side, but the missing middle is the piece where all the employment and all the um, GDP and growth actually springs from. And that's where our focus is. Okay, but this lady in question in particular, she's already started, so she wasn't really a startup. Um, mm -hmm. But just to um, find out a little bit more about your background. So who is Viola? 
what drives you? What pushes you? I mean, what 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 makes you to want to be who you are right now? Age four and five, I was uh, in ballet a lot. Loved music, loved dance. I am. What's the date today? The twelfth. Yeah, in thirteen days' time, I'm going to be fifty-five. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. But fifty years ago, this is the individual whose parents were told that. Black people don't do ballet. Their bodies are wrong. Please get your child out of our ballet class. I remember that well because it's got a lot to do with who I am today. The idea that somebody else will tell me what I can and cannot do drives the reason why I am not interested in being ordinary and I am not interested in having my power taken from me. And neither will I abdicate the responsibility required to hold on to that power. The next phase after I got kicked out of nursery school for being disruptive, I deserved it. I could read when I was three. So I'm not interested in your little kiddie games. So I got kicked out and sent to primary school. And I remember that first week of school, they asked us to run to the wall and run back. And when I got back, the teacher said, you didn't win. I was, in, I was besides myself, I was furious. You didn't tell me I was supposed to win. So the idea of winning and losing is very much fused in me. And I don't like the idea. I'm not a sore loser and I don't mind losing and failing, but I do want what all black women want, which is the, the democracy of opportunity. Let that opportunity be available for me to fail or succeed on my own terms. And that's really, really important. Many other situations came up. I wanted to be a genetic engineer. I never ended up going to university because I created, I committed the cardinal sin of being pregnant as a late stage teenager when I was 19. So um, when that happens to women back then, all doors close. So you have to create your own door. So I'm used to defining a blue ocean of opportunity for myself that's got nothing to do with what anybody else thinks. And so far that's worked for me. But everything I ever knew or understood about the analysis of how things fit together because of the way my mom and dad raised me, meant that not going to university has never been a problem for me. The jobs I've had, you've always needed a master's. I don't have that. I think I have one or two missing O-levels, irrelevant at this point. But I am somebody today who is addicted to Batman and cartoons, loves heavy metal, has offices in Cameroon, Egypt, India, the USA, Mauritius, and I care about what happens to the people will be here after I'm gone. I am committed to our continent. I am a reformed member of the diaspora and I'm always very excited to talk to people. I also believe in um, encouraging African women to be shockingly honest because people have ridiculous expectations of us and we're individuals. We don't always follow the party line. We do not always want what is culturally foisted upon us. We can self-determine. We are becoming something and it's a great journey. And I also like to tell young people how to rebel against their parents and get away with it. Ha uh -huh, ha uh, ha, that's cheeky, isn't it? <laughs> but necessary. Your parents are not going where you're going, okay? So they can't really tell you how to get there. The, and I know this because, I have because I've been a parent. The only thing your parents can really do is provide you with a, um, a system of values by which to evaluate what you're doing and how to recover from your screw ups. But they can, they can share their life experiences and you can always- That's what that does. It provides you with a value system for figuring out how you wanna to get to where you're going and how to fix your screw-ups because you can listen to what they said you can watch what they did you can make a determination that eh, that doesn't apply but you have to do it in such a way especially with our culture that you don't alienate your parents and the best way to do that is to really explain to them I am prepared to pay the price I need your advice I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to come up with a, a solution and a path that gives honor to the fact that you provided me with these opportunities. And if you don't build a relationship of honesty and trust as a parent to your children, they will not come to you with this. No. So those of us that were raised back in the day of 
shut up, sit down, you will be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. That opportunity to be honest with your parents was removed. Mm. But in my case, I always told my parents what I thought because I just assumed, yeah, you're going to beat me, but I'll survive it. I'm going this way anyway. <laughs> and my mother always says now, if I knew then what I knew no, now, I would have just left you alone. You would have been fine. And it was. And I've often shared with people the honesty about myself because it, how I succeeded is irrelevant. What I survived and screwed up is what you need to know. That's you, what Can you tell us one? Oh, yeah. Getting pregnant at 19 is a stupid idea. And unfortunately, my son died less than a year later, and I had to, um, to grow from that experience. Dodging and not going to class is a dumb idea. But passing the, the exam anyway, eh, that's great. Don't do that today, because in this day and age, you can't get away with it. I went to school in the 80s. I did. Um, marrying the wrong man is such a roadblock for women. And I often tell them, be careful where you breed. Don't have your children with stupid men. You just bring more stupid people to the planet. We are the bouncers of the planet. You can't get here unless we let you. That's powerful. Fact. I've screwed up in business. I, when I was an employee, I really did myself no favors being excited about being someone's assistant. It never occurred to me that I actually knew more. And frequently, we do. And by the time I woke up to that, luckily my business partner came along, I was ready to go. I had, my eyes were finally open. Making mistakes with raising capital and making sure that uh, debt and equity are aligned properly so that if an investor lets you down, you can do something about it. We too often think of ourselves at the mercy of VCs. VCs are very dangerous. They only wanna know how can I extract and leave? Not always interested in helping you grow for the long term. I also made a mistake in thinking that when you build a technology company, it's so that you can have a great exit and everybody talks about how you floated your IPO. What about those who want an evergreen company like Berkshire Hathaway that just continues to grow and become um, a continental ecosystem necessity? That's what I want. So when VCs say, what's your exit strategy? I only just built this thing. African businesses take much longer to grow because we don't have the same resources. So don't ask me that stupid question. Not answering it. I have no idea. I'm staying here till it does what it's meant to yeah. And I might choose to stay for the long haul or buy everyone's shares back and keep that stuff in my pocket. You've got choices. Do not make the mistake of thinking you don't have any. You always do, you've got to find them. I also made mistakes in um, being afraid. Being afraid is um, a really bizarre thing because often the thing you're afraid of is probably already happened, that's why you feel it. You have to be willing to throw yourself into the breach because the worst thing will happen is you'll die. We're all going to die anyway. Someone will buy you a coffin you're not going to receive an invoice for it. Just get on with it. You have no control over the ending. All you have is right now. Enjoy it. Wow. So I was going to ask you, what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, your circus, your monkeys. My circus, my monkeys. Meaning this is mine to control and manage. You and your drama is yours to manage. And it comes from coming to the reality, to the realization that it is almost a crime against humanity to prevent somebody from making their own mistakes and developing their own conviction. You cannot keep coming in to rescue people. Why is this pertinent to this conversation, Bucky? Because as African women, especially when you're the firstborn, you get saddled with a mental rewiring that says that everybody else's outcomes are your responsibility because you're meant to set an example. You are the oldest, you've got to do this. Who will take care of them? Your circus, your monkeys. You take care of yourself. I'll take care of myself. That is rebellion against many parental directives. And when you're a firstborn African female, it's 
the chances of you missing your big break are much higher than anybody else's because you're so busy meeting the expectations of individuals who are judging you. So when you go into business, you have to un unwire that and remember that they've got issues too. And what people think about you is none of your bloody business anyway. Do you, your circus, your monkeys, don't worry if people are judging you. You have no control over that. Try to really analyze the parental messages. And one of the most powerful, frightening African parental messages that many of us got was that money is the root of all evil. How on earth can you be successful, create liquidity, opportunity, and have access to the money that your old parents will say, we need money, if you're being told that this thing is evil and it isn't. You have to learn to love and respect money in a functional way. You have to be very clear as to what you want to do with it, how to get it, how to keep it, how to make it grow, how to be very comfortable with talking about it. Until Africans are comfortable with discussing their net worth, the money they're looking for, what they've got, and how much they admire other people who have succeeded at getting it, we're always going to have very dangerous suspicions around the mechanics of business. Money, wealth, and success are a human right. And we have the democracy of opportunity that we have to fight for every day to create it. Well, absolutely. So what is one word for any female out there looking to go into tech as a business or a career, what would you say to them? Get on with it. Does your solution solve a real problem? Are you willing to pivot from it once you find out the idea is absolutely rubbish? Are you willing to admit in public, I completely messed that up and look how much money I lost. My husband's pension and savings, I decimated it. The big McMansion that we were in, in Maryland, um, I sold it at a loss of over 400,000 that I got taxed for. I lost so much of our money and I'm remaking it. And I've done that not once, not twice. That's a public admission. It happens, but only to the great. Because you've proven your idea, right? You know because I'm willing, to, I want to succeed so badly, I'm happy to fail on the way. Wow. And I've got a very clear vision. I just know it takes a while. And most Africans do not have the legacy of a trust fund. You got to build that thing from scratch. Viola, you've tested your hypothesis, so you know he works. Yeah, and even when the hypothesis proved that it couldn't work, because the goal was very, very clear, the goal has never changed, just the route. The goal has always been to create a technology company that will create transferable wealth for Africans in the trade sector. It's not changed. But we've created and dropped and made so many products to do it, hired and fired so many individuals that either sabotaged, screwed up, or didn't make the grade. All of these variables can shift and change and interchange. The goal doesn't change. Anybody whose goal stays the same is likely to succeed eventually. In the same way that the talents and skill sets and interests that you had as a young person are probably the same ones that are your strength when you're older. Some of those things don't change. It means that when you interview, like I did, a guy for a finance director role and he sits there and I say, why do you want this job? Oh, ever since I was a small child, I always wanted to be in banking. That's a fat lie. No three-year-old wants to be in banking. But if you wanted to be an astronaut, a police officer, or a can-can dancer, it's likely that the disciplines involved in those things will transfer to the success in whatever field you end up in as an adult but you must do something that provides you with enough sustained interest that you don't give up. And you can only do that if you authentically own that thing, that characteristic, that talent, that desire, drive, vision. That's you cannot right. co-opt and borrow other people's because it won't last. No, it's like you can't hire somebody to do your press up. You've got to do it yourself. 
That's right. You know? And another example that I, you know, use usually is when you're going to school, you're going to school for an education, mm-hmm. whether it's primary school, secondary school or university. Yeah. The purpose, the goal does not change. It doesn't. It's to pass at it's to pass out with flying colours. It's Bucky, you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> you don't need me for this podcast. Thank <laughs> you so much. For that. Um, how did you how did you build your solution? Did you hire in-house development team or was it outsourced? No outsourcing whatsoever. Built one code line at a time by us. That's because in this long-term vision we're talking about, there will come a day when the value of African intellectual property will probably outstrip the entire world. Imagine if majority of the Africans who are having challenges in health, life, business, education, whatever, were to create solutions for that, that you could assess the monetization of that and the industries and the secondary industries that spring up around the execution of that idea. That's untold wealth. That's wealth that resides in intellectual property. We, don't, we need to address that very, very quickly so that we keep what belongs to us, that we don't accidentally give stuff away without understanding its value. So these are really key items for the future. Excellent, and I, and I do agree with you. So in terms of um, resources, you're saying best to have your in-house developer if you no, can, not necessarily. If you can afford it. If you, if, you, if you can, it all depends on your circumstances. We started out building and coding everything, but as with companies like Facebook, Microsoft or whatever the case may be, we've reached a point where we now integrate solutions for quick market delivery. It all depends on your stage of development along the, the technology arc. You, you might start out um, finding that there is nothing out there that does exactly what you want. You might take pieces of or whatever the case may be. But um, we've built and coded everything on our platform and now we've found that the rest of the industry is built around us and there's some great things that we can integrate and bring into place for a very specific type of technology delivery. So it all depends on where you are and what you're doing. Thank for you. example, I'll go build a, a crowdfunding platform, come license ours. Perfect. And I think we would, we would take that offline and have more conversation. Sure. Um, for, for female techpreneur, you know, what we like to do is to showcase founders that have been there, done that, yes. and have achieved um, success in the end, even failures. We want to know all about okay. it because only, that's the only way we can learn. The things I failed at are going to be your signposts. What I've succeeded at is, is, is slightly irrelevant. It's nice, yeah. but how do we make sure that those coming behind us surpass us, do better, improve upon? That's, that's where it that's where it lies. And that's where the work is. That's so at Female Tech, we have a community of like-minded women, professionals and entrepreneurs that yeah. we come together once a month, we network, we build each other up, we offer even discounted services for members whereby, you know, if they need like social media, they need an accountant or they need to even do crowdfunding or they need yeah. access to funding, we can signpost them to the right place and they know that they're in a safe place where they can be their authentic self and yeah. actually birth that dream with somebody literally holding their hand saying, you can do it, girl. You well, know. that's what we have with um, Ovamba's authorized reseller program, whereby we've been getting a lot of applications from individuals who say, I, I want to apply to sell Avamba's technology on a white label basis or whatever the case may be in my particular market. Um, we've got one in Egypt, we've got a few more coming online in Mali and Malawi and other places like that. Um, we provide an entire business in a box to individuals who will um, be able to sell our technology with our help, support and training to financial institutions and other institutions that want to serve SMEs in whatever market where they are. It's a great business, we train. We even can co-fund transactions that they originate. 
the technology uh, they can use and license it internally, or they can sell. If you've got great relationships in these markets, we love to talk to people as part of our scaling um, strategy. So we get applications. I'm looking forward to the first female coming to us to say, I'm applying to be an authorized reseller for Ovamba. So far, it's only the guys. So ladies, did you see my eyes? Help make some money, give me a shout. Excellent, I like that. Well done. Thank you very much, Viola. I think we've come right to the end of this program and it's been amazing hearing you speak. It's like, I just don't want you to stop. There's so much, so much you've got to give, so much value, so much experience, you know, and thank you so much for accepting to come. I really, really appreciate you. And I know that all my listeners, whether now or later on, would benefit a great deal. So tell them, how can they contact you? How can they get to know about you? How can they connect with you? Sure. I'm easy to find uh, online if you just Google Viola Llewellyn and uh, my last name's got all the L's. So it's L-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N. And of course there's ovamba.com, O-V-A-M-B-A.com. We are on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, all of those social media platforms. There's on our website, there's loads of videos about the things that we've done and you can meet the team. You can read about our products, our solutions. You can apply to be an authorized reseller through our website. You can uh, apply to ask about investing with Avamba and we've got some amazing returns to investors. And we actually have been hiring. So if you go to our website, dig around, see where anything, you know, crosses your fancy. We would love to have that conversation. And I tend to be pretty approachable, as you know, Bucky. <laughs> Thank you for that. I think uh, we've got some, because we have a talent hub as well. Okay. We have a talent hub, we do Startup Academy, which is the education side. And then we do the um, investor side of things where we connect people to resources. And also we have a community where is where brings everything together where we do our networking etc so i will have a look myself and see whether there's anything any member of my community might be interested in obviously we'll like to do something in partnership with yourself so i'm just dropping it out there right now <laughs> and um, we'll probably invite you one of these days based on your availability to share some nuggets with us so um do you have anything you want to ask me at all um, I want to know what made you put such a great platform together? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm very driven. I'm, I'm an individual that I get very restless when I see things not working. Yeah. And um, I went for an event in Nigeria. It's Women in Leadership. Oh, yeah. And, and um, I was talking about tech and I started doing the research. And I found that, that there are a lot of um, inequality going on in the tech space. Yeah. So I thought, Buki, you've got to do something about this. And um, I just started, I just couldn't rest. So it's like when you've got a vision, you have a purpose. And it's like, until it's done. Yeah. At the time, I didn't even know whether anyone needs it. I just thought, you know, I'm going to put this together. We're yeah. going to go out there. We're going to speak to people. We're going to get mentors. We're going to get role models. We're going to get women getting, building technology, believing in themselves, having confidence that they can do things more yeah. than just what they're doing now. More importantly, within the technology landscape, there's so much opportunities. We've got the retail tech, we've got the ed tech, we've got the med tech, it's just verse. And you can express technology through any medium. Right yeah. now, look at what's going on in the world with COVID-19. Tech is the future. So there has been a lot of misconception about it's gonna be, is male dominated, is this, it's not for this set of people. And in, I think the statistics says, uh, World Economic Forum, I think 2030, there's gonna be digital gender skill shortage. And we need to start right now, the future is here. And if we don't start the campaign and start getting people interested, it's not boring, it's not difficult, it's not geeky. Yeah, we need to start the message. It's, it's practical. It's it's life, and I'm enjoying it. I have a software development company. I love it. We're creating solutions. We're building stuff, is and when it comes to life, is I'm so excited. I look yeah. at it and say, "Wow, we actually did this," and people are using it. 
Yes. So it's it's like let's let other people know about this good stuff. Mm-hmm. Let them know about it. And I've done everything. I've bootstrapped it up to now. Good. So it's like wow. Yeah. So many times, like any founder, I feel like, Bookie, what are you doing? Does it make sense? You know, you have your own self doubt and everything. I think the only thing that keeps you going is your passion and your purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's you why I heed into what you were saying. Is this, all, is this what you always wanted to do or did you arrive here somehow? I would say I'm an accidental entrepreneur. The reason why I say that is I've done a lot of things in the past. I've done different businesses, but funny enough, they're always about tech. So I've created an event platform. It's always all comes back to technology. And my husband is like, how many websites do you actually have? <laughs> how many things you want to build? I keep creating. I just can't stay away from creating stuff. And I thought, wow, this is it. The purpose that I've been looking for all along is right in front right of me. And now what I'm doing is empowering more women, bringing us together as a collective. Because back in the days, women don't work well together. We're very competitive in nature. So we need to ditch that and work in collaboration. Yes. And that's the only way. And leverage other people's, our different skills and expertise. Good I hope you. I've answered your question. <laughs> yes, I'm grateful that there are people like you out there, Bucky. It makes the world so much, so much better. Excellent. Thank you very much. On that note, um, for everyone listening, um, if you're interested in joining our community, it's Female Techpreneur and it's on www.femaletechpreneur.com. My name is Buki. You can find me on almost all the social media handles out there. Um, connect with us, follow us and support this movement because you haven't seen anything yet. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.